To say one waits a lifetime for his soulmate to come around is a paradox. People get sick of waiting around, but the art of commitment is a saw that eventually cuts. It was 1983 and 18 months passed since the mysterious world of Buster Lee began. New characters have come on the scene. Things have changed for the better. Overwhelmed by success, Neely Cairo hired 20-year-old Mayella Williams as a personal assistant. Williams is psychic. She can remote view, but she has a long way to go. New, too, is wannabe celebrity and know-it-all 13-year-old Venture Falls. Joan Reynolds' niece ventured dreams of a career as a model, actress, and singer. Last but not least is a part-time surfer, child of privilege, and bon vivant, Mutt Keep News. He's driven, ambitious, and lacks an empathy chip. But Mutt Keep News is so movie star handsome, so dope, he's stopped every day by strangers who want his John Henry. Set your calendar to 1983, and welcome to part two of season one of the mysterious world of Buster Lee. Chip Carmichael was the son of famous quantum theory scientist, Dr. Oscar Carmichael. Chip's mama was a believer in his musical talent. She thought Chip could be the next great classical pianist. Five years ago, Chip's mama took ill, and three days later, she was gone. At her service, Chip was dry-eyed. After she passed, Chip's daddy Oscar moved to Switzerland to work on an algorithm related to time travel. Feeling vulnerable, Chip dyed his blonde hair jet black, wore black nail polish and eyeliner, and turned the garage into a gym. He worked out every night. His body grew sinewy, his gaze menacing. At school, they called him La Beast. By his 18th birthday, Chip Carmichael was 6'2 tall and 170 pounds. Spiffed up in a long black leather trench coat and skin-tight black jeans, Chip was a walking time bomb of suppressed rage. Until he exploded, whenever that was, he burrowed his troubles in the garage, lifted weights, and ate a diet of nothing but raw meat. On Monday nights, Buster Lee and his friends, including Beck, meet at his mama's office at the Nebraska to watch The Grady Sea Mysteries, a popular TV show that followed the personal and professional lives of several young adults living in Los Angeles. At 18, Grady Sea inherits his father's investigation business and solves mysteries, but a series of rumors about his partying lifestyle always gets in the way. Grady C. is played by a dope-looking 29-year-old actor who lives on the Upper East Side of Manhattan called Cody Delisle. 
During the commercial break, Myella Williams said, I can't believe we're watching a show about a bunch of good-looking, solipsistic, know-it-all teenagers who listen to public radio and live in Cluster B County, Newport Beach. While Grady C. plays on the TV outside, Neely calls Buster Lee and Lars into her office. Dressed in a dark jacket, a white t-shirt, chinos the color of buttermilk, Buster Lee fit in well with the vibe of 1983. Standing beside him, like they were in the principal's office, wearing his ubiquitous khaki jacket and trousers, Lars looked like, well, Lars. It was the Einstein effect, I suppose. Lars always wore the same thing day in and day out. As I entered, Neely was finishing on the phone. Yes, of course I will. They'll meet you at the gas station, Oscar. Yep, yes, yes, goodbye. Oh, say hi to Chip for me too. After she hung up, Neely said, Can you zip out to hop along tonight and meet quantum physicist Dr. Oscar Carmichael? Tossing Lars a copy of a magazine, she said, Dr. Carmichael is an old friend of mine. He was on the cover of In the Know this spring. Looking at her notes, Neely said, Oscar was upset, but I don't know what about. He won't say. He has a son, Chip, around your age. Anyway, Dr. Carmichael will be waiting for you at Range's gas bar and hop along. Take back two. His sense of sight and smell might come in handy. Buster Lee and Lars grabbed their scooter rainwear and with Buck the Blue Healer, ran to the parking lot beneath the Nebraska. Hopalong, New Jersey was an hour and 15 minute ride away. Beck rode in the new sidecar Buster Lee had ordered from Italy. It looked like a bullet. It was mighty sweet. Beck loved it. While Buster Lee, Lars, and Beck motored to New Jersey, Maella and Venture, both wearing striped warm-up socks, were glued to the rest of the Grady C episode. Even though Maella thought the show was dumb, there was something about the handsome actor who played Grady C. She could not shake. I think he's gorgioso, said Venture, picking a kernel of popcorn out of the sofa. Whatevs, said Maella. Whatevs. The Mysterious World of Buster Lee. Presented by Adam Ive. Buster Lee thought about how they looked from the sky. Two boys in a blue heeler, and Italian-made scooters, one with a sidecar carrying a miniature blue heeler, zooming down a two-lane back road in rural New Jersey at night. Following behind was a truck painted the color of a mackerel. Buster Lee signaled Lars to turn right. They came upon Hopalong Gaspar, and Dr. Oscar Carmichael. Propped against a phone booth wearing a trench coat that had seen better days was Dr. Carmichael. Buster Lee stepped off his scooter and motioned to the 52-year-old scientist. Leaning in, Carmichael said, you must be Buster Lee. I know your mother. 
And you're Lars Logardia. And this is Beck, the blue healer. Of course. They shook hands. Boys, I'm weak. Don't let my son Chip know how weak I am. Three months ago, I began gambling. And I lost a lot of money. Maybe a year's salary. Some of the players needled me. They'd say, if you give us that algorithm for time travel, we'll erase your gambling debt. I got phone calls from the Russians, and I knew I was in a nest of spies. That's why I called Neely Cairo and international investigators. I want out, but I don't know what to do. Without warning, the mackerel truck appeared again, and a gunman wearing a pink balalaika riddled Dr. Carmichael's body with lead. Covered in viscera the color of a pomegranate, the famous physicist said, Help him. Help him. You must help him. Cradled in Buster Lee's arms, the once robust hero of quantum physics collapsed like a scarecrow on a windy day. He shut his eyes for the last time. Who is he talking about? thought Buster Lee. Who am I supposed to help? Sitting in gaslight, the popular cafe in Greenwich Village, Mayella shut her eyes and tried to make a paperclip move around the table. Mayella Williams, as you remember, was Neely Cairo's new 21-year-old secretary who lives in Greenwich Village. Venture Falls was a friend of Mayella. They met at a woman's march with their mothers in Central Park. Seeing what Mayella was doing with the paperclips, Venture asked, are you getting any better at that? Mayella shrugged her shoulders and went to the counter for another tea. Standing on line was the handsome heartthrob star of Grady C., Cody Delisle. Stay with me if you can. You can conflate Cody Delisle with Grady C. because Cody Delisle plays Grady on the show. But don't confuse Cody Delisle or Grady C. with Buster Lee, even though they have similar sounding names. Where was I? Although the show was shot in LA, Cody Delisle, the actor, lived in New York. Excuse me, Cody said to Mayella. Can I get a stir stick? Mayella looked at Cody Delisle and did a double take. Are you, are you Cody Delisle, she said, from the Grady C. Mysteries TV show? Cody nodded. We were watching you last night. It's great TV, Cody. Can I call you Cody? Fantastic drama, acting, and writing, Cody. Bencher rolled her eyes. Well, I'm glad you like it. What's your name? Looking down, Mayella said. I'm Mayella Williams, and over there is my friend Venture Falls. She wants to be an actor like you, Cody. Resting his hand on Mayella's shoulder, Cody said, Hey, it's my birthday in two days, and a bunch of us are celebrating at Pop and Penguins on the Upper East Side. Would you and Venture come as my guests? I've never met fans as knowledgeable as you. The girl squealed and nodded. Privately, Venture was tentative, because she'd never been outside of the village. With Carmichael gone, Buster Lee, Lars, and Beck gunned it to the Hopalong police station to report the death of the world-famous scientist. Speaking to the duty officer, Buster Lee said, we want to report a drive-by shooting at the gas bar one mile south. Someone shot Dr. Carmichael. He's dead. After filing the official statement, 
Buster Lee, Lars, Beck, and Police Officer Chief Scott, a no-nonsense blue-collar type, returned to hop along gas to gather evidence and fetch Carmichael's remains. Before the funeral, the doctor's cadaver would be examined at the morgue in Atlantic City. Buster Lee, Lars, and Chief Scott leaned against the side of the police car and watched as the ambulance containing Oscar Carmichael disappeared into the night. Cradling back in his arms like the dog lover he was, Chief Scott asked Buster Lee and Lars why they were meeting with Carmichael. The doctor was a poker player, said Lars. Carmichael thought he could beat the odds, but he ended up losing everything. He owed the Russian mob a fortune, and they made him an offer, an offer he couldn't afford not to accept. Looking away, Chief Scott sighed and said, I used to gamble when I was younger, but everything changed when my wife Poodle stormed out one Monday, never to return or speak to me again. Chief Scott wanted to know where Buster Lee and Lars would go next. Taking back out of Chief Scott's hold, Buster Lee said, We're going to see his son, Chip. I heard he was out there. Opening the door of the squad car, Scott said, Out there is an understatement. On their way to Chip Carmichael's house, another truck chased Buster Lee and Lars. This one, a cube van, the color of a sardine. The Italian-made scooters had some oomph left in them. When they had to, these little gems from Pontedera could outrun a greyhound. Cruising the aisles of Elliot's bookstore, Venture showed Maella three books Cody may like for his birthday. Wide-eyed, Maella said, There's 105 rules, women are from Xenon, or the shaved apes of France. What about a book about acting? Venture chirped in. I doubt Cody is that kind of actor. Remember, he used to be a model, right? The mid-century suburban house was dark. After knocking on the door, there was no answer. Looking at Lars, Buster Lee said, Let's just go in. The hall lights were off. Lars' flashlight revealed an orderly house. In the living room was a piano with a vase of tulips on it. There were no books, magazines, or cups on the coffee table. Tipping his flashlight, Buster Lee and Lars heard someone softly weeping. On the sofa lay Oscar Carmichael's son, Chip. Tell me it isn't so. Tell me he's alive. I'm Buster Lee, and this is Lars LaGuardia. Do you mind if we come in? Buster Lee and Beck stood in the hallway. Lars entered first. I know who you are, said Chip. Leave me alone. Beck sauntered across the living room and crawled onto Chip's chest. That's Beck, said Buster Lee. He's my dog. Sitting down on the sofa, Buster Lee said, I know this is a terrible time, but we can help you. The only way you can help is to leave me alone, Buster Lee said. We're here because your father asked us to meet him. He said he wanted to talk. The distraught Swain grew heated and said, What about? Lars put his hand on the bereaved boy's shoulder. We don't know, said Lars. But Chip, when I was 14, I lost my parents. I know how it feels. Buster Lee pointed to the window behind Chip and said, Do you mind? He opened the latch two inches and felt a rush of cool air. 
In the distance, a truck geared down as it started up the grade that would take it to the pass and over into the next county. Turning on the table light and standing up, Chip revealed his full frame. He was built like a competitive rower. You couldn't look away. He said to Buster Lee and Lars, Every night after dinner, the phone rang, and Father would have a terse conversation. He'd say, Yes, no, yes, maybe. Then he would hang up. Buster Lee looked at Lars and shrugged. After dinner, Father said he was going to a bar, the Crow, for some drinks. But the last while, he started coming home later and later, and I got suspicious. Two weeks ago, I tried to follow him. I rode my bike to the Crow, but his car wasn't there. I thought I might have the wrong bar, so I rode to some places he frequented, the Rabbit in Red, the Surf and Turf, and Reflections, but no sign of him. Worried, I scoped the neighborhood. Ten minutes later, Deus Ex Machina, I saw his car on Moncton Street. Over the next week, I followed him. He always went to a house on Moncton Street. Three nights ago, I snuck around the back of the house, and without being seen, I peered in the basement window. What I saw shocked me. Beneath a bare light bulb were seven shady guys. They covered the table with matchsticks and money and, um, I'm sure you know the rest. Venture's mama, January Falls, was a professional wedding planner. When Venture told her mama she was going to act her Cody Delisle's birthday party, her mama said, I know the art director on Cody's TV show, The Great EC Mysteries. He says the cast and crew are great. One big family. So have a great time. That Cody Delisle is dope. <laughs> I've seen him around town. If I was 15 years younger, I swear. <laughs> In the back of the cube van, Chewing on mozzarella sticks were beguiling Russian cuties, Lexi and Anastasia. The eye-pleasing 20-year-olds were junior mobsters from Russia. Speaking their mother tongue, they said, For those who don't speak Russian, the message translates as, We must get Buster Lee, Lars Lugardia, and that brat of a frickin' dog too. Poppin' Penguins was typical of an Upper East Side restaurant of 1983. It was brash, loud, awful, overpriced, and popular. It was often frequented by the attractive young literary elite just graduated from Bennington, or NYU. Poppin' Penguins was featured in magazines and on TV all the time. Rock bands from England partied in the VIP room there. It was that kind of place. By 93, they declared bankruptcy. At 7 p.m., searchlights blazing, a crowd of girls mobbed the penguin, hoping to see super babe actor and hunk extraordinaire, Cody Delisle. Leaning against the faux Grecian columns out front, Venture said, wow, poppin' penguin sure is fancy. There's nothing like this south of 14th Street. Venture and Maella were trying to get into the party, but the doorman could not find their names on the list. Venture told Maella, Men hate it when women cry, so cry. Maella threw herself at the doorman's feet and sobbed a river.
wearing a nondescript khaki suit, a white button-down shirt, the rep tie, and a pair of loafers, Lars opened a box of breath mints and offered one to Chip. No thanks, said the distraught lad. Sitting behind the piano, Chip looked at the sheet music and said, About the other day, I thought things over. I wasn't straight up with you. There's more to my father's death than gambling debts and drink. I think he was messing around with things some people would consider wrong. You know my father was experimenting with time, right? Buster Lee closed his notebook and looked at the lanky boy with black dyed hair and eyeliner. You mean time travel? said Lars. Sitting down, Chip said, I think the Russians lured him into gambling and drinking. Once he was hooked, they rigged the poker games and Daddy would lose. Buster Lee looked at Lars and said, The Russians would love to change history. The Poppin' Penguin was wall to wall with people, all to celebrate Cody Delisle's 30th birthday. Now inside and sitting at Cody's VIP table, Venture said, they couldn't find us on the guest list, so I told my Ella to cry, and like that, the doorman let us in. Throwing his arm around my Ella's bony shoulder, Cody said, No woman, no cry. Changing the subject, my Ella told Cody about her work with Neely Cairo. You work with super psychic Neely Cairo? My Ella nodded. I'm gifted too, she said, but only a little. I remote view, I can see in drawers, vaults, envelopes, but my real interest is stuff like women's rights, the environment, and the new age. Taking off his jacket, Cody said, There's a little after party at my place tonight. Are you pumpkins coming? The girls knew they shouldn't, but invites like this rarely come up. They looked at Cody and nodded. Great, we can go to my place and hang. With that, Cody Delisle was off to chat and sign autographs for another gaggle of fans. Looking around the restaurant, Maela said, Do we look like all the girls here? Or do all the girls here look like us? My mother wanted me to be a concert pianist, said Chip, sitting at the piano. But when she passed away, so did my drive for that sort of thing. Now my father is dead. And it's true, isn't it, Buster Lee? My father was a traitor. There was no way out. Buster Lee nodded his head silently. Why didn't he tell me, Buster Lee? Why didn't he tell me? Patting Beck's head, Buster Lee said, Because he loved you, Chip, and he was ashamed of what he was doing. That's why he called Lars and me. He wanted to expose the whole thing. Chip moved the piano stool back and stood up. Do you guys want something? The sad-faced boy left the room. All basements have two things in common. They are humid, and they smell of fabric softener. That's the first thing Buster Lee thought when he woke up tied to a chair. Before that, he'd been drinking sodas upstairs with Lars and Chip Carmichael. In the poorly lit basement, Buster Lee squinted to see around. In the shadows, slumped over, he saw Lars. At his feet was Beck. Looking up at the ceiling, Buster Lee heard muffled noises. Lexi and Anastasia were from the lower ebb of the Russian oligarchy. The children of misguided Stalinists, their curriculum vitae included 
armed bank robbery, car theft, money laundering, loan sharking, and blackmail. They each owned a pink pistol with matching silencer designed by Putin himself. Although they had never been part of assassinations, neither had actually killed anyone. Yet. Buster Lee twisted his foot in small circles, first this way, then that. Ever attentive, Beck raised his head and looked at Buster Lee's feet. Beck pressed himself to all fours. With the stealth of a panther, Beck circled to the back of Buster Lee. With razor-sharp incisors and a powerful jaw, the miniature blue healer made quick work of the rope that bound Buster Lee's wrists. Beck knew a lot of tricks, but none as useful as this. Buster Lee untied Lars. Together he, Lars, and Beck tiptoed upstairs through the kitchen door. Spellbound by the sheer quantity of merchandise one could win on an American TV game show, Lexi and Anastasia were glued to the television until they saw whether Peaches from Florida won the new car. In situations like this, there was no alternative. There was only one strategy. Shock and awe. Huddled in the hallway, Buster Lee and Lars burst into the living room. Sprawled on the sofa, fluttering like harpies were Lexi, Anastasia, and surprise, Chip. He was not wearing a shirt. When the threesome scrambled, Chief Scott, armed with matching 44 magnums, one in each hand, hurtled in, followed by a phalanx of police officers, weapons drawn. Chief Scott tossed three sets of handcuffs to Buster Lee and Lars and said, hook em, boys. With pleasure, said Lars. Buster Lee cuffed Chip first. Leading him to the squad car outside, with his head down, Chip sobbed like a baby. Lexi and Anastasia were used to being arrested, and as a result, were as cool as cucumbers. Being stuffed into the back of another squad car, they shrugged with a fatality that Russians are famous for, that said, it's just another day at the office. Standing under the porch, Chief Scott wiped his brow and took a swig from a flask. Looking at the empty cylinder of his 44 Magnum, Scott said, Thank goodness I didn't have to use this. Buster Lee smiled and scratched Beck's ears. When did you know? said Buster Lee to Chief Scott. I knew about Lexi and Anastasia months ago. Hopalong is a small place. Girls like them cook with gas. They stand out. I knew they were with the mob, but they're young and not the kind to kill. Chip blamed his mama's death on his old man. Chip felt his daddy didn't do enough to help his mama when she got sick. When the opportunity came, Chip pushed his daddy under the bus. At the Nebraska in Neely's office, during a commercial break, Myella said, I can't believe Grady C is still the number one show. Venture chimed in. After meeting Cody Delisle and seeing what a phony he was, I'll never watch him again. Denouement. It was Saturday, his day off. Wearing a t-shirt, a Harrington coat, blue jeans and loafers, Buster Lee took Beck for a walk in the woods. He found a stick he knew Beck would like. Buster Lee tossed it as far as he could. 
Beck chased it down and returned with it faithfully. They played this game of catch for an hour. If you ever wondered what dogs do on their day off, now you know. You've been listening to The Mysterious World of Buster Lee, presented by Adam Ive. Mystery World theme by Oliver Wickham. Follow us on Instagram. Go ampersand pod underscore planet. For show notes and merch, go to podplanet.org. Special thanks to Tattoo Sound and Music. The Mysterious World of Buster Lee is written and produced by podplanet.org. 